Let's pray. Heavenly Father, guide us into your presence just as you did the wise men. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, there was a contest between my parents and my sister and I. They would hide our Christmas presents and we would try to find them. We lived in a small house. It gave my sister and I the advantage. Now, we had won the contest four years in a row. And then I turned 14. And as you well know, 14-year-olds know everything. So we were pretty sure that we were going to win it again. Now, by the way, we weren't allowed to open the presents. We could pick them up and shake them, and then we would write a note on them that just says, we win again. Walmart and Amazon hadn't been invented yet, and so mom did most of her shopping at Montgomery Wards, J.C. Penney, and Woolworth Five and Dime. Wrapping paper was the Sunday Funnies, or white tissue paper, making it easy to spot. Now, my 14th year, we looked and looked, and we couldn't find them. Then we looked and looked again, and we still couldn't find them. My mom, sensing our frustration, looked at us and said, yeah, Santa told me that you're on the naughty list, so no presents this year. And if it hadn't been for the smile, that we would have thought maybe she was telling the truth, because to be honest, my sister and I should have always been on the naughty list. Christmas Eve arrived. We always had everybody over to our house, literally sometimes 30 or 40 people. There was a fire in the fireplace, and we would have Ebel skivers, that's the Danish malasada, and bacon and sausage, and then there was syrup and powdered sugar, and we would eat until we couldn't eat anymore. And then all the adults would gather on the uh, turquoise couches or the orange swivel chairs, all plastic, of course, and my sister and I got to open our presents. Now, we gathered around, we were waiting, except my mom didn't move. Now, you gotta know that my mom at that point always would get up and go get wherever the presents were, and when she didn't move, we began to think that maybe she was telling the truth, that there really weren't any presents. And finally she said, go ahead, open them. And we didn't see anything, and that's when my grandfather pulled the tree skirt away, and there were all the presents right underneath the tree skirt. In fact, they had been there the whole time. We just hadn't thought to look there because they were hidden in plain sight. I'm not sure if Jesus got any presents that first Christmas. You know, the wise men don't show up for quite a few days later. Shepherds might have given him a hand-knitted wool diaper or maybe some sheep milk. You know, Mary and Joseph didn't do any shopping because they had to spend all their time finding a place to stay and filling out all of those Roman IRS forms. Historically, Christmas gifts, other than the original Wiseman gifts, they really weren't a thing until about 336 A.D. That's when Emperor Constantine, based upon what his mommy had found out in her working vacation in the Holy Land, had discovered. She said, well, December 25th. And he said, well, then December 25th it is. It's officially a Roman holiday. So beginning then, a few people exchanged gifts in remembrance of the wise men, although I'm pretty sure there weren't any gold, frankincense, and myrrh unless somebody was trying to impress somebody or trying to be historically accurate. St. Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra, which is uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, it, he was one of the first to start giving gifts, especially, by the way, to the poor and the needy. We've come a long way from oranges and lumps of coal and a few coins left in shoes and stockings. Now, Jesus got born in a stable, and then at some point, the Bible says that his parents moved into a house because that's where the wise men found him. 
Um, I don't know what kind of boxes the gold, frankincense, and myrrh came in, but I'm pretty sure that the boxes would have been a lot more fun for the baby Jesus than the actual gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, Jesus, uh, I'm thinking he could have made some, he could have taken those boxes and he could have made a fishing boat that doubled as a pulpit, or maybe a cardboard donkey so he could pretend he was in a parade, or a table to celebrate the Passover, or or maybe a cross, or a burial tomb. I, I mean, for someone who created the whole universe just by speaking, I'm pretty sure he could come up with some pretty neat box art creations. You'll notice I didn't mention him taking boxes and making a fort to hide from the evil King Herod. And that's because there was no hiding Jesus. I mean, parents are always doing something big in order to celebrate the birth, especially of their first child. And God was no different, but let's face it, putting a brand new celestial event, some sort of star or some sort of conjunction of stars in the heavens, that's taking it to the next level. The Magi, during a little detour to Jerusalem, were informed that no self-respecting Messiah would ever get born in Jerusalem or any of the other cities because, well, the prophet Micah had said several hundred years ago that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And that's when they went back and started following the star again, and it led them right to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph right there in this house. Now, Herod and the religious leadership, for reasons that only God can explain, either didn't connect the star to the birth of Jesus or were so lazy that they actually believed that, you know, that the wise men would come back and say, you can find him at this house, and then they wouldn't have to do any work, and they could just send the soldiers, and Christmas would never really happen. Either way, by the time Herod figured out the Magi had taken a different road home, Jesus and his family had safely fled to Egypt, and evidently the, the star didn't follow them and keep pointing the way like those air tags do. The gifts of the Magi are important. Each one actually points to a very specific role that Jesus is going to play in saving the world. Gold, because he's a king. You know, we kind of identify gold you know, crowns with kings. Frankincense, uh, th by the way, that's because he was our priest. Incense uh, in the Old Testament, the, the, the incense when it burned, it was like our prayers rising up to heaven. And myrrh, because Jesus is going to die to save us from our sins. Myrrh was one of the things that they used to wrap the body in so it didn't stink so much in the tomb. Now, in addition to the prophetic gifts and fulfillment of several Old Testament prophecies, the Wiseman visit is also important because now God's plan of salvation is out in plain sight for everyone in the world to see. I mean, even though it had been right there, you know, underneath the tree in plain sight the whole time, nobody thought to look there. The prophet Isaiah had promised, I, Yahweh, have called you for a righteous purpose. I will hold you by your hand. I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and, and a light to the nations. In chapter 49, Isaiah said, and God says, it is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the very ends of the earth. Now, we won't know until we get to heaven whether the Magi fully understood as expensive and exotic as the gifts that they brought to the baby Jesus were. They were nothing compared with the gift that God had given them in the baby Jesus. The Bible does say they worshipped him, but, you know, people also worship baseball and hamburgers and cars. They did travel a thousand miles or more to find him. That does say something about their expectation and what they saw as the value in coming to see him. But the question is, what happened when they got home? See, it's one thing to bring somebody gifts and worship him, but, but what really matters is what happens when you got home. Did, did it change their lives? 
When you open a gift and you've torn enough of the wrapping paper off so that you can actually begin to see what's inside, you know whether it's something that you asked for, something that you've been waiting for, something that is, is just out of this world, or, or it's just socks or underwear. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with socks and underwear, but um, compared with opening up a drone or a hammer drill, it's just not the same. For about 15 years, there was a Bible DVD game box my wife used over and over again. I don't even know whether the, the Bible DVD game still existed, but we had this box, and she would put a really good gift inside, it, and then one of the kids would get it. As the kids unwrapped it the first year and they saw it, they were underwhelmed. I mean, it was like, oh, great, yeah, another one of these games. But then they opened it and found one of the things that they really, really wanted. It didn't take long for them to start wanting to get the Bible DVD game box because it meant that they were going to get one of the things that they were really going to value. The baby the wise men laid their gifts before was just a baby, kind of like a wrapped present. You got no idea what's inside. You might shake it a little bit, but unless you know, it's shaped exactly like, well, you know, oh, a canoe paddle or something like that, it's going to be hard for you to know exactly what's inside. When they worshiped Jesus, they unwrapped the presents and they saw the Bible DVD game box, but they didn't stick around until the baby Jesus grew up, which would be the, well, it'd be the equivalent of opening the box and finding out what was really inside. How much anticipation and expectation do you think the Magi had? I mean, what were they actually expecting to find other than the King of the Jews? You know when that dream came? You know the one where God says, look, you guys got to go home a different route because the king wants to come and kill the baby Jesus? It piqued their interest enough that, that they knew that it was necessary, and so they actually took a longer and more dangerous route home. But it didn't pique their interest enough for them to stay and wait for the box to be opened to find out what's actually inside that Bible DVD box. I know the box metaphor is getting old, but, but think about the box that Herod wrapped himself in. A box of fear, panic, and self-preservation at all costs. It's peculiar. At the time of Jesus' birth, there were only a small handful of believers. Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, Zechariah, John the Baptizer, and a few shepherds. And yet that handful of believers was enough to throw old Herod into a fit of panic and rage. I mean, Herod had a clear understanding of exactly what the birth of Jesus meant for him and for the rest of the world. And uh, he was going to do whatever it took to get rid of it before it could ruin his life. I want you to think about that. Less than a dozen believers caused a major panic 2,000 years ago. Because, you know, that part that says Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, it meant that all of his disturbance bubbled over and people became very uncomfortable. And yet today there are 2.38 billion believers, that's according to Google, and yet no one is the least bit worried about us. What do you think that says? Maybe that's because us 2.38 billion believers spend more time arguing with ourselves about what kind of hymns we should sing and how important speaking in tongues is and how much water you use in baptism and, and whether it's these gifts or thy gifts in the common table prayer. We spend a lot more time arguing about those things than we actually do going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that Jesus said. The president actually arrived nine months earlier, and on Christmas was finally placed in the manger for the world to see. The gift tag actually said, a gift for all people, meaning everyone in the world, not, not just a few chosen ones. 
Now, there are quite a few people in the world already standing in line to return God's gift, hoping to get something that they really want. There are others that are ready to re-gift it to somebody who really needs it because, uh, you know, their, their life is good right now. Some set the gift aside. There'll be a more convenient time. I'll just put it in the closet and someday gather it. And then there are those who hold tightly to the gift because they can't imagine living without it. Epiphany isn't just about a bunch of magi leaving home and following a star to meet Jesus. It's not just a story of Mary and Joseph escaping to Egypt or just how evil King Herod really was. And it certainly isn't just an excuse for us to give gifts to one another. At its central point, the magi are a vision of a life interrupted. For them, they were doing whatever magi do when suddenly a celestial event pops up. And when they connect it to their prophecy book, they cancel everything on the calendar for the next few months and they start an epic road journey. <laughs> they have to grab some gold and frankincense and myrrh and saddle up some camels first, but they're off to find what was underneath that star. Oh, they met a king and some priests, which would have been pretty impressive. They found the child, they gave him their gifts, and they worshipped him. And just when they were ready to go home, they had a dream. And so they wound up taking a different route. It's really not that much different for you and me. We're going along doing whatever it is that we do, whatever pilots and pastors and soldiers and sailors and teachers and moms and students do. And then suddenly Christmas is upon us once again. There may or may not be a celestial event, but there are always plenty of opportunities to make a journey to find and to worship the baby Jesus most of us got introduced to Jesus when we were about the same age as he was when he was in the manger. As we grew up, our parents and Sunday school teachers and pastors taught us to bring a gift or two and worship him, not just on Christmas, but whenever the community of faith gathers. And by the way, it's not the gift that's important. The gift is a response of the heart, not the price of admission. And we need to make that very clear. Every Christmas we get excited about all the decorations, parties, lights, and shopping because it actually looks like the whole world is trying to follow the star to Jesus. It doesn't take long to realize that they have a very different Christmas in mind. Some of our friends and the government and most certainly Hollywood want nothing to do with Jesus unless they can make money off of him or get elected. They may not be as afraid as King Herod was, but it's close. And we realize if they find out that we're friends with Jesus, they might consider us their enemies. And so, dream or not, we play it cool. We ride our camels through the desert as though we're just trying to find a Chick-fil-A or an In-N-Out burger to satisfy our hunger. We hope we can sneak over to worship Jesus, give him our gifts, and then make a quick getaway. But this is where we need to part company with the Magi. See, having seen what King Herod is like, jealousy, power, and rage, flailing at the night, screaming for power, killing anyone and everyone, including tiny babies, we need to learn to not take a different route home. This is what a real life interrupted is about, not taking that other route home. We need to take a path that is easy for those who are afraid of Jesus, or who hate Jesus, or for those who don't believe in Jesus, we want them to follow us to the place where we lay our gifts and we worship the baby, grown up, crucified, died, buried, and risen again. See, there was a reason God put that bright celestial event over the top of his son. He can't be wrapped up except in swaddling cloths. 
He, he can't be put in the Bible DVD game box or hidden in a closet or under a tree. He literally needs to be out there for the whole world to see. See, the real not-so-secret secret of Epiphany is that power is not found in government buildings, churches, the rich, or even the socially influential. That first Christmas, and for days and weeks afterwards, God showed up in a tiny town among very common people who up until that moment had been least among the clans of Judah. God told everyone where to look. I mean, he put some sort of star in the sky. He had shepherds running through the town shouting. The angels were doing a karaoke up in the clouds. And magi from the east wandered around asking if anybody knew where this king of the Jews had been born because they saw his star and they'd come a long way and they wanted to worship him. No, God wasn't hiding anything. The book of Revelation says the day will come when believers must step forward and live out their faith. It goes so far as to say in the book of Revelation, if you were to be persecuted, then be persecuted. If you were to die for your faith, then die for your faith. I know, it's hard to hear that. We celebrate the Epiphany on the day after the 12th day of Christmas. See, for much of the world, especially those who live a lot further north than those of us in Hawaii, it's a day people could wake up in the morning and know for certain that the sun was rising earlier and it was staying up longer. In much simpler language, they knew the light was winning and the darkness was losing, and you see the metaphor there. And that's why we can't hide Jesus or take another route home. We know the light is here. Our time of waiting is over, and the darkness cannot overcome us. We need to learn the best evangelism and witnessing is to simply live out our faith. Covered in grace and mercy and letting the light reflect off us. For just as the prophet Isaiah said, I, Yahweh, have called you for a righteous purpose and I will hold you by your hand. I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. Most of the world will pay the same amount of attention to Jesus that those folks back in that very first day did. In other words... They don't care, and they're not going to pay attention even if there is a star in the sky. A few will be like evil King Herod. They're going to do whatever they can to get rid of him. But there are a few who are trapped in a hungering darkness, and they are especially seeking the light of deliverance. And it is our calling to reflect the light of Jesus so that they can find their way home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.